Good morning, everyone. Welcome in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. We gather on this second Sunday after Epiphany, and we hear in the Gospel lesson, uh, Jesus is identified by John as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We give thanks and praise. We will sing of that in our worship this morning as we gather around both word and sacrament. We welcome Pastor Keith Haney from Iowa District West, who is our guest preacher this morning, and pray the Lord's blessing upon the message which he brings. So I invite you to join your heart and voice in the service this morning. We enter into this time of worship with confession and absolution found in your worship bulletin. Please stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I invite you to kneel or be seated for confession. Let us then confess our sins to God our Father. Most merciful God, Almighty God in his mercy has given his son to die for you and for his sake forgives you all your sins. As a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, I therefore forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us now stand as we join our hearts and voices in the processional hymn, O God of God, O Light of Light. Please face the processional cross as it leads us in worship.
The grace of God in Christ Jesus poured out in every gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. Almighty and everlasting God, who governs all things in heaven and on earth, mercifully hear the prayers of your people and grant us your peace through all our days. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated now as we turn our attention to the scripture readings appointed for this second Sunday after Epiphany. The Old Testament reading today is from the 49th chapter of Isaiah. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother he named me. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says... It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, Princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is the word of the Lord. Our psalm this morning is Psalm 40, which we'll read responsively as printed. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, but those who go astray after the 
You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. The epistle is from the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel preceded by the Alleluia in verse. Jesus is in the midst of his people with his gospel word. That gospel is found in St. John, the first chapter. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak 
and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, peace, and mercy be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today comes from Matthew chapter 20. Hear now the words of our text. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus along with their sons. Bowing before him, she asked a favor of him. What do you want, he asked. She responded, say to these two sons of mine, we'll sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom. Jesus replied, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink from the cup I'm about to drink from? They said to him, we can. He said to them, you will drink from, the, from my cup, but to sit on, the, on my right or left hand isn't mine to give. It belongs to those for whom my father prepared it. Now, one of the 10 disciples heard about this. They became angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called them over and said, you know that those who were the Gentiles show off their authority over them and their high-ranking officials order them around. But it's not the way it will be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first will be your slave. Just as the, son of, just as the human one did not come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. This is our text for this morning. Please be seated. One of my great joys in life is leadership. And our Lord is a master teacher when it comes to leadership. In our text for today, he has this interesting request that we see up on the screen from the mother of James and John. She said, would you let my son sit in places of power on your right and on your left? Now, being in a place like this, I'm sure you understand being in the seat of power and the desire that people have for power and how power can be so intoxicating. So the disciples, when Jesus says, are you ready to take on the responsibilities and the power that comes with being on the right and on the left, they answer without really thinking, well, yeah, sure. Bring on the prestige, bring on the honor, bring on those two places of authority. Like any good leader, though, Jesus says, you should understand what you're asking and understand the reality of what it means to be in a place of power. And he says to him, can you drink from the cup that I am going to drink of? Do you understand what that means. And he says, of course, they say yes. He says, well, you will drink of it, but those positions that you seek are not mine to give. They belong to my Father in heaven. He also goes on to explain to them more about what leadership is. He says, leadership is not about being first. Leadership is being willing to be the servant of all, to serve others, not to worry about being served. Jesus was very prophetic in his understanding of exactly what it meant to lead. We as Christians are called upon to lead, to be leaders in our communities, leaders in our homes, leaders in society. But Jesus also wants us to understand the present reality of leadership. He says, if you want to lead as a Christian, you must understand, like those other two disciples understood, that you will suffer persecution. All who seek to follow God's will will suffer persecution. Now, I, I remember when I was a young Christian, I thought to myself, you know, being a Christian is great. 
because that means that everything is going to just fall in my lap, right? There'll be no problems. Life's going to be easy peasy. And I know a lot of Christians who are surprised when tough times come. And they're almost thrown back by the fact that that there's persecution, that people don't like them, that their family members don't want to be around them, that, that people label them as Jesus freaks because they want to let their light shine in the world and, and how their co-workers reject them and they, they don't get promotions. They go, why is, is life difficult? I'm a Christian. Things should just like fall into place for me, right? What does Jesus say? If you follow me, you will suffer persecution. Life will not always be easy. I remember when CPH said, would you write this Bible study on racism? I thought to myself, no. Life is going along quite well. Nobody knows who I am. I don't have to worry about speaking places. No one invites me anywhere. It's just wonderful being invisible. Because I realize that if you take on difficult topics as a pastor, sometimes people actually want to hear what you have to say. But you also have to be careful that there will also be pushback. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't really like persecution. I, I like things to go easy. But Satan also has a way of reminding us in the church that our call is to be courageous as the people of God. We're called upon to stand firmly on our faith and let our faith lead the way in time and society and be the ones who stand on a hill and shout, Jesus Christ is Lord, when no one else around you wants to hear that. Our faith calls upon us to be courageous and to stand courageous in times of suffering. Here's a lesson from today's text I want to share with you. Satan wants to hinder the work of the church. And how does he do that? He attacks the leaders, people like Peter and James, like pastors and leaders of congregations. When I was a young pastor, I remember telling my new group of elders that be prepared because life's about to get very difficult for you. If you take on the responsibility of being a spiritual leader in this congregation, Satan will come after you, he'll come after your family, because he does not want this church to succeed. Satan's entire purpose in the world is to make sure that heaven is as empty as possible and hell is overpopulated. He will bring down leaders. He will bring down Christians. He will bring down churches. It is Satan's goal to destroy and to set aflame the body of Christ and the work of Jesus Christ in the world. To cause you to doubt your faith, to cause you to doubt your purpose, cause you to doubt your abilities and your skills. He doesn't want you living up to your potential. He wants you to quit. He wants you to say life is too hard. This faith thing is too hard. I don't want to go to church this Sunday. There's so many more things I want to do on Sunday. Besides go to church, there's St. Starbucks. There's St. L.A. Fitness. And on a cold day, there's St. Mattress. (laughs) He doesn't want you coming into the body of Christ and being fulfilled and uplifted and strengthened and prepared and sent out into the world to be his witnesses. So he tried to take out Peter and James. But these were silent heroes and they had a unique calling. But I have a question for you. When I was younger, someone asked me, as a pastor asked me this question, he says, are you the kind of Christian that Satan wants to attack? And my first thought was, Lord, I hope not. But if you think deeply about that question, you really want that to be yes. You want to be the kind of Christian that threatens the very foundations of Satan's kingdom. But in saying that, are you prepared, as Jesus asked the disciples, for the life of being the kind of Christian that Satan wants to attack? 
Is your family ready for you being the kind of Christian that Satan wants to attack? Is your marriage strong enough to be the kind of marriage that can withstand the temptations of the kind of person that Satan wants to attack? Do you have the kind of congregation that can withstand the kind of pressures that will happen when Satan wants to attack? Are you ready as a people of God to stand boldly on the word of God and be ready for the kind of situation and the pressures that Satan will bring on you with the kind of Christian and the kind of churches that Satan wants to attack? Imagine being the kind of church where Satan is active. I remember one time in my congregation, we were having a, a moment of peace in our congregation. And somebody said, Pastor, this is great. Everybody's getting along. People are happy. There is no contention. Our meetings are going just swimmingly. And I said, I must be doing something wrong. If you're all happy and, and the church is content and, and there's no fighting in the church, then we're not obviously threatening Satan's kingdom enough. We have to work harder at it. Because if we're the kind of church that is threatening Satan's kingdom, we are dealing with conflict and fighting and, and disagreements about the mission because Satan doesn't want us doing the mission. He wants us distracted and happy and, and not anxious and saying, you know, we have so much more time to meet and talk about mission. But if we're the kind of church and the kind of people where Satan attacks, then we're making him nervous. We're threatening his kingdom. We have in our text some silent heroes in James and Peter. Peter was delivered while James was permitted to die. If you look at the book of Acts, up until chapter 12 of the book of Acts, the church was enjoying amazing success. They were seeing conversions. They were seeing lives being transformed. But in chapter 12 of Acts, you see this story happening. About that time, King Herod began to harness someone who belonged to the church. He had James, John's brother, killed with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he arrested Peter as well. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. He put Peter in prison, handing him over to the four squads of squadrons of, of soldiers, 16 in all, who guarded him. He planned to change, charge him publicly after the Passover. While Peter was held in prison, the church offered earnest prayer to God for him. The night before Herod was going to bring Peter's case forward, Peter was asleep between two soldiers, bound with two chains, with soldiers guarding the prison entrance. Suddenly an angel from the Lord appeared and a light shone in the prison cell. After nudging Peter on his side to awaken him, the angel raised him up and said, quick, get up. The chains fell from his wrist. The angel continued, get dressed, put on your sandals. Peter, as he did this, was told, put on your coat and follow me. Following the angel, Peter left the prison. However, he didn't realize the angel had actually done all this. He thought he was seeing a vision. He passed the first and second guard and came to the iron gate, heading to the city and opened for him by itself. After leaving, he proceeded to the length of the street and then abruptly the angel was gone. God, for whatever reason, delivered Peter. His mission to the world and to the church was not done. Now, if you remember Peter, Peter had an interesting history. I like to say Peter was an apostle known for putting his foot in his mouth. He leads boldly at the crucifixion until he sees Christ in the courtyard. He denies him three times. All of a sudden, this brave, bold, mouthful Peter denied Jesus. Now you see him in the book of Acts being this, this brave soldier who's now about to face death but he's standing firm. It's amazing how God uses heroes when he needs them. So Peter and James are heroes because of these reasons. They received the gospel in their heart and in their head. They believed, and, and they believed what they, what they received. They also taught and believed and lived despite the fact that their personal safety was a danger. 
Going back to Matthew chapter 20, when Jesus asked the question, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they said, we can. They had no idea what we can meant. In Acts chapter 12, James and Peter understood what it meant to drink the cup of persecution, to be leaders in God's church and to stand on the truth of God's word and be used by God to proclaim Christ to a lost and dying world. More lessons for us. I'm amazed as I look at this text about the power of praying Christians. The word in our text says, but constantly praying was constant prayer was offered by God. That word constant prayer in the Greek means to be stretched to your limits, like it's a term, a medical term, like when your muscles are stretched to its vinous limits. So if you, if you run cross country, like my son does, or run a marathon, there's a point in a marathon where your body and your muscles are just screaming for oxygen. And you can feel that you're at the very edge of the point where your muscles are just straining for everything. That's the way it's defined by constant prayer. That prayer is being stretched to its very, very limits as they're praying to God for his deliverance. I love what this one Puritan pastor said about this scene. He says, never underestimate the power of a praying church. The angel fetched Peter out of prison. And he said this, Thomas Watson, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. One side note, as I think about the power of a praying church, I think social media has done our prayer life a disjustice, an injustice. When I go on Facebook, I have a lot of people on Facebook who I see who are in need of prayer, and there is a mindset, a theology on Facebook that says you need multiple people praying for you to somehow get God's attention. And so you'll see people saying, if I can just get 150 people or 70 people praying for me, somehow God will listen. Here's something you need to know. It's not about the number of people praying. It's about whether or not the people praying are praying God's will for the situation. It could be one faithful, righteous person praying, and God hears that prayer because it's in line with God's will. It's not about the volume of people praying. It's about the content of that prayer and whether or not that prayer lines up with God's will. So these people gathered together and they prayed constantly for God to do miraculous things. And while they're praying, if you notice the text, Peter is resting comfortably in his cell. Guarded by 16 people. They were expecting an army, apparently, to come in and rescue Peter. But, so he was chained together with two guards, and there were guards outside, and all the doors were locked. And Peter knew tomorrow he was going to face his execution. And so I have a question for you. If you're Peter, are you sleeping soundly at this point? I was restless yesterday, hoping I didn't miss my flight. I was nervous this morning thinking I got to preach in front of people I don't even know who they are. And if this sermon really bombs, it's going to be on social media and no one will invite me back anywhere again. So, but Peter had this, this, this sense of calm and this lack of anxiety as he's about to face death. And I asked the question, how in the world is Peter so calm? Why is he not restless? As a matter of fact, it said that the angel had to nudge him awake. He's so sound asleep. Imagine that. The angel had to kind of like, Peter, you got to get up. We got stuff to do. That's how soundly asleep and so confident in God's will Peter was that he could just lie there in complete confidence this was going to be okay. He was confident because of a couple things. He knew that believers were praying for him. In Philippians 4, it says, and keep praying day and night for a week, and this helped bring him peace. Prayer has a powerful way of reminding us of the promises of God's word. 
As they're praying for Peter, Peter's reminded of a promise that was made to him by God that he was not going to see death the way that Herod had intended for him to see death. Jesus told him how he would die. He knew he was not going to die in that prison. He believed in the promises of God. One of my favorite verses in scripture, and also turned into a hymn, is this one. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There's a story of Sinad, who is a Tibetan, Tibetan Christian, who was proclaiming the gospel in his native country when he was captured by the officials and he was thrown down a well and the well was sealed and locked with a door. As he was down in that well, he realized that he ran across bones of other people who had also been thrown down that well, and he realized he was probably going to meet his end in that well. He was there for three days. When finally he heard the door to the top of the well unlock, and someone said to him, grab the rope, they let down with a hook on it because he had broken his arm when he fell, and they lifted him out of this well. When he got out of the well, the door was closed and locked again. When he turned around to thank the person who had released him, there was nobody there. He went back to the town square the next day and began preaching again in the same spot where he'd been arrested when the official who had arrested him came back and brought him back in again. The official was furious, wanting to know who in the world had stolen the key and let this Tibetan Christian out. When he did more further examination, he realized that he was the holder of the key and the key was still on his hip. God still performs the miraculous today. The miraculous didn't stop in the book of Acts. Miracles didn't cease. God did not stop being active in the church today. God is still alive and well and active in his church. When I started doing this Bible study, one man's words rang out in my head. He said, Pastor, you can never solve racism. Racism is too big. It's been ingrained in this country for too long. It's a part of our history. It is too big for us to fix. Being extremely confident in God, I said, well, now I know how big your God is. I think my God's bigger than that. If my God can solve the sin of the world problem, he can solve the sin of racism problem. What God needs from the church is to be the church, to be men and women of God who are called by God with a belief that we have the ability and the power and the might and the strength behind us to go into the world and to be God's light in a world living in darkness. This congregation, every single week, sends out more than 200 missionaries into the field. You have the ability and the power to transform the world. If you're willing to be the kind of Christians that Satan wants to attack. Are you willing to go out into the world and to preach a gospel of reconciliation? Are you willing to go out into the world and to show mercy where there is hatred? Are you willing to have the courage to be used by God to transform the world? You have the ability and the God and the love to make a difference. And we have the power behind us of God's word to make that happen. So Peter, as the rest of the story goes, he obeyed the angel. He got up, he put on his shoes, and he walked past the guards. And he got to the big iron gate that leads to the outside. And the Greek word for what happened to the gate is an amazing word. It's the Greek word for automate. When he got to the big iron gate, the iron gate automatically opened. God automatically opens our big iron gates, that last barrier for us to truly trust him to show us the extraordinary.
Now, what I didn't read to you is that as the church is fervently, constantly praying, Peter is out of prison, and he goes up to the door where the people are praying, and he knocks on the door, and they're like, and the servant girl goes to the door, and she notices Peter there, and she says, hey, Peter's outside. It's like, shh, we're busy praying right now. Like, no, 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 I don't think you get it. The person you're praying for is outside the door. How many times as we as a church, we're praying for something, and, we're, and it happens, and we're still praying, waiting for God to act, and we miss the fact that God actually answered our prayer. He's outside the door. Imagine the power of a praying church, a church praying for God to heal racism in our country, a church praying for the loss to come into our buildings and be moved and impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not dying congregations. We're just not focused congregations. We need to focus our prayer life on the things that matter to God, that align with God's heart, and God cares for lost people. God cares for reconciliation. He told us that we are ambassadors of reconciliation. God wants us to bring peace and healing to a world of division and anger and hatred. You are the vessels of God's hope and his love. Are you willing to be the kind of Christians that Satan wants to attack? And I want to close with this. What are the lessons and applications for us today? Never underestimate the power of a praying church. Prayer as a way of reminding us of the promises that are in God's word. And God often joins the miraculous with the ordinary just to encourage us to keep, keep things in balance. And finally, I love the fact that Peter had to stoop down before he could walk. It's an amazing lesson for us in humility that we sometimes have to stoop down before we can walk. May the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. I invite you now to stand as we join in singing the hymn of the day. It is found in the Blue Hymnal Supplement with One Voice, number 752, I the Lord of Sea and Sky.
Responding to the word of God that has been read and proclaimed in our midst, we now are bold to profess the faith we share in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, drawn to the light of Christ, made bold in the waters of baptism and filled with the Spirit, we lift up our prayers in confidence that God loves and listens to us. In our prayers this day, as our nation observes the uh, celebration tomorrow of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we remember and give thanks to God for the life and work of this individual in the life of our nation. For people in troubled areas of our world, in Iran, Puerto Rico, and Australia, for all travelers that the Lord would send his angels to preserve and protect them, for Bibi and many like her who are seeking visa applications that the Lord would bless and guide that process. For the bereaved, we pray for the family of Mark Reiter, a neighbor of JP and Regina Mayhew, who died this past week, and for those in need of healing, Tom DeMick, a former member of this congregation who will be undergoing hip replacement surgery on Tuesday at Inova Mount Vernon Hospital, for Mark Barbray, a stepbrother of J.P. Mayhew, hospitalized with blood clots, Diane Cawthorn, the sister of Barbara Pate, recovering from a recurring infection, for Gladys Rothman, the sister of Ethel Sullivan, under hospice care in Houston. Silas Parrish, just released from the hospital. Eric Partey, a friend of Mark Bacon, also under hospice care. And for Hal Gale, who has pneumonia and is at home. Each of our prayers ends with the words, Lord, in your mercy, we respond by saying, hear our prayer. I invite you to kneel or be seated to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for sending your Son, Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Send us also your Holy Spirit, that we may willingly and joyfully serve as Jesus' hands and feet and mouth, pointing others to him through our words and deeds and service to the world around us. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Lord, with thanksgiving, we also remember the life and ministry of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. We pray that you would use us to bring healing and new life to all people in our neighborhoods and communities. Equip us all to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with the Lord our God. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Creation, Lord, we ask you to look with mercy upon our fallen world. For regions troubled by unrest and violence, plagued by natural disasters, or governed by unjust rulers, 
Bless your people with peace, perseverance, and help in time of trouble. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious Lord, we lift up in prayer all who are elected or appointed to positions of authority on the local, state, and national levels of our government, as well as military personnel. Guide them to act with courage, grant wisdom in decision-making, and keep them safe in their service. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this day, a gift from your hand. Teach us wise and faithful stewardship of everything you have placed into our care and keeping, ourselves, our time, and our possessions. We help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus throughout our earthly pilgrimage and equip us for what is needed that we may live a life worthy of the calling to which you have called us in Christ. We pray, O Lord, for all who are traveling near or far, that your holy angels would bless your people's going out and their coming in to make them safe in their journeys. We give you thanks for Pastor uh, Keith Haney, his presence among us, and the message that he has brought to us this day. Bless his journey back home to Iowa. Preserve and protect him that he may arrive safely home to his family. Lord, in your mercy. We pray, O Lord, for all who are refugees, immigrants among us, that we may see in them your own face and look to help and support in whatever way we can to those who are in need. For those who are seeking visa applications, we pray, Lord, that you would bless this process underway, especially that of your servant, Bibi. Open the right doors of opportunity, bring a good outcome from this process that you may be glorified and the lives of your people blessed. Lord, in your mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We thank you that by your life, your death, and your resurrection, you have brought life and immortality to light. We remember especially those who have died, that their loved ones might not grieve as those who have no hope, for our hope is in you. Be with the family of your servant, Mark, whom you have called to yourself this past week. Point them and all of us to the open cross, the empty tomb of you, our risen, reigning, and returning Savior. Lord, in your mercy. O Lamb of God, in your earthly life and ministry, you brought healing to many who were sick or suffering in any way. And we pray now that your same mercy would be upon those whom we have named before you, Tom, Mark, Diane, Gladys, Silas, Eric, Hal, and all whom we name in our hearts before you now. May it please you, O Lord, to walk with these, your servants, and with their family members who wait and watch. Be pleased, according to your mercy, to bring relief from suffering and give them what is needed day by day. Lord, in your mercy. At your gracious invitation, O Lord, we come again to the table which you have prepared this day, where you are host and we are guest. Grant to us repentant faith that we may receive you, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, even our sin, in this Holy Supper. And being thus forgiven and encouraged and strengthened in our faith, we may rise up and go forth from your table, from your house, to serve you by serving our neighbor until you will come again. Lord, in your mercy. Good and gracious God, we ask all these things and whatever else you see that we need with a sure and certain hope in your goodness and mercy through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
Amen. Please be seated. Before we receive the offering this morning, a, a welcome to each and every one of you, guests and members alike. Uh, please take a moment, uh, fill out the connection.